This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Uh, 1 John chapter 4. Uh, I'm not going to lie to y'all today. The manuscript was lengthy. So we're going to get going. We're going to get we're going to jump into it. Um, but I'm I'm really excited for it. Um, by the grace of God, I feel like this sermon came together quickly. He must have known that we were going to not have power for the majority of the week um, and be bouncing around. And so uh, I'm, I'm glad that, that it came together. Uh, I, I want to ask this question. Um, I'm still moving stuff around. Um, it's fine. It's fine. We're going to have a trash can today. Uh, okay. Uh, what are you afraid of? Like, and, and like, like, like legit fears. Like, yes, I know clowns are a real fear for some people, but like, like you know, most people, right? It's not clowns. Like, what are you like legit afraid of? Sp- sp- did I hear spiders and spouses at the same time? Spouse death. Okay. I was like, wow. Man, that is honest right here. That's what I'm talking about, Hayden's like. Spiders, spouse death. Okay. All right. All right. Fair, fair. Um, Say that again? Not fulfilling. not fulfilling God's purpose, right? Like getting down, oh, that's one of my fears. Getting out of the end of life and being like, ah, oh, crap, I missed it, right? Like that type of thing, because then what do you do? You can't rewind it, you're, yeah. Other thoughts, what are you afraid of? Car accident. Car accident, shoot, yeah. Especially if you've been in one, like that does some, some trauma that you've got to learn to undo. Um, anybody else? Paralyzed? The physical health or lack thereof. Yeah. Homeless. Loneliness. Shoot, yeah. Yeah, we, um, we all have those temptations towards fear, right? The, the, these real things in life that, that cause fear, feelings of fear, feelings of panic, feelings of terror that, that really biologically are neural pathways, like we've got to work to reshape them so that we can overcome those fears, right? So that we may have the trigger, the feeling of it, but they no longer control us. They, they no longer hold us back. The, the most common command in the Bible depending on who you ask, right? Some will say there's 365 commands. I'm like, are you really just trying to find one per day of the year? Are you trying to like market something here? There's a lot of the commands though in the Bible. Anybody, any guesses? Do not fear, right? The single greatest command in the scripture is don't be afraid. D- don't fear. When the disciples were freaking out and Jesus was napping and they wake him up and he's like, why are you so afraid, right? Like, it's throughout scripture. Do, do not fear. David writes in Psalm 23, I will fear no evil. It's a conscious choice that he is making to, to not be overcome by fear, right? That, that evil around him will not win. That, that for us today, Either God is just cruel and gives us commands that are impossible and we'd have no chance of actually walking in, or there actually is the possibility, the, the way for us to go through life without fear. And I'm not talking about like, you know, not feeling, you know, fear or not, not, you know, having those triggers or even not having to work the process of overcoming fear, but that there is a, a path, there is a direction that we can go and, and live without fear. 
Fear doesn't have to control us. It doesn't have to, to rob us anymore. And David, if you read Psalm 23 and finish that sentence, he says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right, for David and for any fear, fear is eliminated when there is the presence of someone or something that is bigger than said fear. Right, when we know, okay, there is this real thing that can cause fear, but there's also this remedy to that fear that is present and active and, and good among, among us. And so I, I, don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to fear anymore because the answer to that fear is, is there. David says the answer to our fear is the presence of God. John writes, which one's my Bible? Here it is. In 1 John chapter four, that perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. It forces fear out of the picture. It's a perfect love of God that when we know it, when we encounter it, when we grow in that love, that we can grow in fearlessness, that we can be confident today and for all of eternity. God's pur purpose for our life that we see in Genesis 1, but John has been saying over and over and over again, is that God wants to perfect love in us through his perfect love for us. Right, so it's two different uses of the word perfect. One is God's like perfect, super, fantastic, without error love, and he wants to perfect love in us. He wants to complete the, the purpose of love for us. God's aim for us, God's desire for you and for me is to be people of perfect love. That we would receive his perfect love, that we would live in his perfect love, and that we would then give his perfect love to others around us. That is his, that is his start to finish goal for you and for me. And that as we grow in that, that we will thrive in abundance and we will know the fearlessness that God has created for us to have. John says in, in chapter four, verse 17, he says, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishments, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, he who does not love his brother, whom he, has, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. If you go back to verse 17 to, to our, our verses today, he says, by this is love perfected with us. Well, what is this? By, by what is love perfected with us? We, we have to go back to the previous verse, verse 16, and he says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And then he says, and by this, by, by us abiding in the love of God, and the love of God abiding in us, by our abiding in God is love, the love of God perfected in us. So God's love for us 
God's, our, our receiving his love, our giving his love, our living in the purpose that God created is perfected, is completed, is finished by our abiding in him, by our remaining close to him, remaining connected to him. Apart from our being connected to God, we cannot know the love of God. We can know about it, right? We, we can understand it cognitively, but we can't experientially know it and be changed by it. But when we abide in God's love, when we're connected to him, when we remain close to him, his love tran- is transferred to us. We are changed by his love. We become more and more and more and more like the love of God. And that is God's aim, and that is where freedom is found. It's by abiding in him that we become like him. Right? If, if I were to, if you were to like introduce me to your five closest human beings in your life, right? The, the people that are closest to you, that you're closest to, if you were to introduce me to them, I would bet that you probably talk similar, you probably have similar fashion styles, you probably like similar activities, you, you probably listen to similar bands or whatever, right? Because, because that's how we as humans are. We, we, we become like those we're closest to. It's, it's transferred to us. We transfer our characteristics to other people, right? If we're abiding in God, it's only natural that who God is, and John tells us in verse 16, God is love, starts to transfer to us. We start to take on the characteristics, the spiritual DNA of the one that we are abiding in, right? So God's perfect love is perfected in us. We become like God as we abide in him. We remain close to him. We are transformed by his presence, by his love for us. And we've got this phrase, and we, we've talked on it before, but I just wanna go back to it a little bit. God is love. God is the source, the epitome, the definition of perfect love. If we see anything, we're like, that is love. It finds its source in God. Right? It originates because God is the first giver of love. The only reason we know how to give love is because God gave love first. And we've said that love is the intentional posture. It's the intentional choice to think and do what is kind, good, and best for another. Love is incredibly active, right? It's the intentional choice to think and to do what is kind, good, and, and, and best for another. And it says God is love. Now, a lot of times people misinterpret that. They take that and they twist it and they say, well, if God is love, then this can't be happening, right? You can't have brokenness or, or, or sin or wrongdoing in the world if God is love. There must be a breakdown, but what we're doing at that point is we are now playing God and telling God what is loving or what is not loving. Right? We're, we're defining love based on our experience, our feelings, what we think must be true and must be good and must be right. right? So it doesn't mean that God isn't loving just because we can't comprehend that this higher infinite being might perhaps see something best and good in a way that we can't see that is best and good, right? 
Just because God has allowed freedom and God has allowed sin to enter the world doesn't mean that God is not loving. God is love means that God will be loving through the brokenness and the hurt and the sinful parts of our lives. It means that God is going to do what is good and best when brokenness comes into our lives. That God will always be there. He will always do what is kind and good and best. We chose sin. We chose to walk away. We chose to bring brokenness into our lives. Others have chosen to bring brokenness into their lives and, and onto us. God is love doesn't mean that we're gonna be immune to hardship. It means that God's love is going to carry us through it. That God, through the hardship, will be there and do what is good, kind, and best. One of the, the promises that I love about, God's too many uses of the word love. One of the promises that I'm encouraged about in God's love is that he's actually gonna take those broken parts and if we let him, he will redeem them and use them for good, right? That if we, if we surrender, if we submit the broken parts of our lives, God's love, because he is love, is that he will take those and he will flip them so that they can actually be leveraged and redeemed for something better. Right, those parts that we're ashamed of, those hurts and those embarrassments and those things that we would just love to go away, right? And, and that we don't ever want to think about because they make us feel awful or we don't ever want to talk about because they're embarrassing or shameful, right? If we give them to God, surrender them to God, his love is such that he will take that and he will flip it for what the enemy meant for evil, God intends to use for good. Like who takes the, the broken, nasty parts of our lives and says, no, we can do something good with that. Right? We don't have to hide from that. We don't have to be ashamed from that. We don't have to, we don't have to be embarrassed. No, let, let's use it for good. Let's meet people where they are and help other people find freedom. Right? Let's give you a voice that you'd have never had before. Right? It's, it's God in his love that takes even the broken parts that he has allowed to happen. And he chooses to redeem those if we let him. He will, he will bring good through that. That is how God is loving, even in the midst of hurts and brokenness, is that he has a plan, a way that those parts of our lives that we wish never would have happened, he has a way that there's good at the end of the path. That's how love works through the broken parts of our lives. God is love. He's always loving and as we abide in him, our lives will increasingly become more like him. So a question we can ask today is, if we look at who we are today, are we more loving today than we were six months ago? A year ago? Is there an upward trajectory of growing in the love of God that we see in scripture? That's just, gonna, that's just a test for us to know, am I abiding in him? Right? Am I remaining close to this God who is love? Because as we do that, his love is perfected in us. Are we growing in that love? Is our life more loving today than it was? Now, now the last promise of God is love that, that I wanna say is in Philippians 1, God promises that he will complete the good work that he began. He will complete the good work of perfecting love in us. If you've trusted Christ, you can be 
assured that the day is coming and the, the process is on its way of God completing that good work in you. And so if you're in a, in, in, in a down spell, if you're in a time of life where you're like, I, I don't know, I don't know if there's much good in me. No, no, God's going to complete that work. He promises to. We, we can either partner with him in that and help it to go faster and, and better, or, or we can, you know, run away and end up in the belly of a fish and God will eventually circle us back to where we're supposed to be anyways, right? Like, God will complete that good work in us. He will. And that's good news. That's good news for us. He will complete that promise. So God is love. And by our abiding in him, abiding in love, he transforms us to be more like him, more like love. God's love is perfected in us by his perfect love for us. Now the benefits of that, that's where John goes next. And there's many benefits of God's love. Two though are what John says here. And this is what I've been so excited just to, just to get into today. Two benefits of abiding in God's perfect love. One, he says, by this is love perfected with us so that, right, that's your, here's your cause and effect phrase, right? The cause is by God perfecting his love in us, the effect is we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. The second benefit, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The two benefits that we receive as we abide in the love of God is one, confidence for the day of judgment, and two, that fear is removed, is eradicated throughout our lives. It is is pushed out by God's perfect love in us. The first one is that as we abide in Christ, we don't have anything to fear for the day of judgment. Yes, there is a day of judgment coming for all of us. If, if you have a pen with you, I encourage you, I'm going to run through several references, and I encourage you just to write these down and go back to them later. But yes, there is a day of judgment coming for every single one of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul says this, He says his aim is always to please God. Why? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Oh, I just realized that's not up. So I don't know if that was up or not. 2 Corinthians 5.10, I'll read it again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I don't know what that day is gonna look like. I don't know, like when I think of a judgment seat before a king, like TV shows, give me a picture, right? I envision this big, massive hall and you know, just kind of a, a, a walkway and there's your king sitting on the throne and then you walk up and the king judges, right? Good, bad, whatever. Like that's my mental picture. I have no clue what it's gonna look like. I don't know. But I know that one day when this life is over, every one of us will be judged before the judgment seat of the righteous, holy judge, Jesus. And he will judge our works, whether good or evil. Revelation 20 gives us some more context to this. John's given a vision of the end times and and he says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And so maybe there is a crowd, I don't know. 
right? But they're standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And so I don't know if each one of us gets our own book Right, I don't know if, if I'm going to stand there and God's going to like open up this file drawer, you know, last name J, Corey, and pull out my own book. I don't know if it's just multiple books and he's flipping through chapters and I have my own chapter. I don't know. But I know that according to 2 Corinthians 5.10, I'm going to stand before Jesus. You're going to stand before Jesus. And we're going to be judged. And he's going to pull open this book that's going to have listed everything of our lives. And in case you're like, well, I don't know, like I hid this one up pretty good. Like I buried this, no one was around. This secret's safe with me. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to his eyes. To the eyes of the one to whom we must give account. There is nothing hidden from your life before God. Right? David in Psalm 139, man, he just gives this several verses on, on the presence of God. He says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Right, God, like, don't, don't think about anyone else right now. You are gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he's gonna pull open a book that's going to have everything of your life. Even before a word is spoken, it's jotted down. Our actions are jotted down. The ones that no one knows about is he knows. He knows. And we're going to be judged for that. Confidence is not the word that would come to mind if I'm John writing this out. I, I'm a, been a relatively good kid. Right? I, I, was, I was raised in a Christian home. I was, I was a rule follower for the most part. I had a little mischievous side of me, right? I'm like, I just want to like test the boundaries a little bit. But for the most part, I was, a, I was a good kid. I remember in middle school, got called to the principal's office. My heart was pounding. My skin was, was tingling. Right? I could feel my, my, my face and my neck getting flush. Right? For, to the principal's office, Mr. Edwards, you know? I remember when Stephanie wanted to read my text messages of someone that she knew I had been texting with too much. It was inappropriate. Worst moment of my life. And yet at the end of the day, if you were to weigh the scales, all right, yeah, I'm gonna have more good than bad. I know that. It doesn't matter. When you're caught, when you're guilty, you're not thinking about all your good. All you're thinking about is crap. I'm screwed. I'm done. All the good doesn't matter compared to this, right? You, you know that feeling, right? You know the feeling of busted. And now I'm going to stand before the righteous. You are going to stand before the righteous judge, Jesus, who sees and knows all and has everything listed in a book 
Confidence is not the word that comes to mind. Am I right? Anybody else? I don't care how good you are. In our souls, we all know how not good we are. And I'm going to be called to court for that? And I'm supposed to be confident? How? how? The only way I'm being confident is if somehow my record of wrong got lost in the, in the, you know, in the mail somewhere, right? If somehow he's like, well, you got nothing. And that's what we have in Jesus. Our record of wrong is gone. And he judges us based on our righteousness alone. That in Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. John says in chapter three, right, that for all who believe in Jesus, we become children of God. You know who's not worried about the day of judgment? Jesus. Not worried one bit. Why? Well, because he's God and he's the judge. But his life was lived in perfection. There is no record of wrong if Jesus' book is laid open. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not be deceived, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That day of judgment is going to come for all of us, and, and the book is going to be opened, right? And, 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 and he's going to find, whether it's our own book or the chapter, he's going to find Matt. And he's going to, to, to find Tekoya, right? And he's going to find, he's going to find our section. And he's going to go through it and he's going to make two stacks. One is evil. One is good. Thank you. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 said. We're going to be judged our, our deeds, whether good or evil. And he's looking through here, man. He's just writing it down. That was good, that was good, that was good. Right? But 1 Corinthians 6 says that for the unrighteous, for the person that has a stack of evil deeds, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. God in love cannot be around that which is harmful to his children, sin. God cannot allow sin into his home because sin is harmful to his children. And so any unrighteous is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to have a record of debt that is thick, that does not give me confidence before Jesus, except God's gonna open up another book, it said in Revelation 20, the book of life. And he's gonna scroll through here and he's gonna find Corey Johnson and immediately, that's no longer in the picture because the book of life has my name in it because I trusted in Jesus, the giver of life. And when I trust in Jesus, my record of debt was nailed to the cross with Jesus and was settled and I'm forgiven. Now when God looks at me at the judgment day, there is no record of sin that's being judged because Jesus already settled for it. He is simply looking at my record of good and righteousness. 
Now, I don't know how the reward system in heaven works. I don't know. But it's, it's clear throughout scripture, right? Store up your treasures in heaven. There's some type of God is going to reward us based on our good. And the way we can be confident when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he opens up our book of all of our good and bad, the way we can be confident is if our name is found in the book of life because then our sins are removed and forgiven and we're not judged based on our sins because Jesus settled that. We're judged based on our righteous works. And I don't know what that's gonna look like and I don't know how much you're gonna, but I know that as I'm perfected in his love, this stack is gonna grow more and more that he wants to perfect his love in you so that our stack grows more and more and more and we can be confident on that day of judgment because our sin is removed by Jesus. That only happens when we are connected to God, abiding in perfect love. If you are not abiding in perfect love, there's a ton to be unconfident for on that day of judgment. It will, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't read the rest of 1 Corinthians 6, right? The, the, they will not inherit the kingdom of God, verse 11 of chapter 6, and such were some of you. Past tense. He's talking to people who are still alive. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. The Bible is clear. We are going to be judged by Jesus. We are, you are, I am. But there needs to be no fear for that day if we are in Jesus. I'll say now, if there's fear for you right now for that day of judgment, that's an invitation that's an invitation to trust in Jesus and know that your sins have been forgiven on that day of judgment. There is no record of debt that will be judged against you. It's been settled. You don't need to be afraid of that day. We can be confident for that day. We can abide in him and his love is perfected. Our, our righteous deeds that will be judged will be rewarded. Again, I don't know what that looks like. But that's what the Bible tells us. But it's by faith in Jesus. It's the only hope we have. It's the only hope we have. We don't have to be, we can look forward to that day. We can be excited with anticipation and imagination and curiosity because that day is gonna be incredible if we're in Christ. That's what his perfect love gives to us. The second thing his perfect love gives us is fearlessness. And so he says, perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear in love. This perfect love casts out fear. F fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with something bad coming our way. But, but what is love? Right? Love is intentionally thinking and doing what is kind, good, and best. If God is perfect love, then God is always intentionally initiating what is kind, good, and best for us. Always. 
Got, got to think of someone that, that you, you know in your life. What if that person, and we know they can't live up to this, what if that person could perfectly love us forever? Would you be afraid of them? Right? Th- think of your, your best friend, your, your, your spouse, your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, right? P- someone that you're like, they, they, they love me. And even then, you know it's not perfect. They've let you down in the past. You know they'll let you down again, right? But, but if you know that they were going to love you perfectly, always do what is kind, good, and best for you, would you have any fear? Would you, would you worry about what's happening behind you? Would you, would you worry about what they're gonna say to you or how they're going to, to touch you or, or, or what they're going to tell others about you? If you knew they were loving you perfectly. Any fear, anybody? None. There's no fear in that because you know, no, no, 10 out of 10 times, they do what is kind, good, and best for me. Always. Always. That's the love we have in God. He's always doing what is kind, good, and best for us. We don't have to have fear when it comes to God. Love will, l- love will never reject you. Love will never hurt you. Love will never humiliate you. Love will never deceive you. Love will never leave you alone. Love will never betray you. Love will never harm your future. Love always initiates for you what is kind, good, and best. And that's the love that we have from God. We do not have to fear him. But we also don't have to fear what's around us when the presence of that love is with us. And that's a process that, that, that's, that's some undoing the past and growing in what is true, right? It's not necessarily immediate. But that's the journey that God is leading us on by his perfect love for us. Perfect love casts out fear. So when your boss is abusive, verbally abusive and manipulative, and that can be a fearful situation to go to work. When we know that the love and presence of God is, is with us in that, is speaking truth to us that we, we do measure up, we are valuable, we are worthy. When we grow in that love, it doesn't make this situation comfortable or even safe but it can remove the fear of that situation. I can move forward to do what is right and necessary because I know that my God is with me, actually with me, and doing what is best for me. When you've had someone betray you and you're scared to open yourself up again, you're scared to be vulnerable, right? you're scared to put your guard down, when we know that our God will never betray us and that he'll actually leverage that for good, that he'll heal us and restore us and bring something beautiful through it, it's not that we don't have a process and a work of healing and recovering, but we don't have to be afraid in that process. We don't have to be afraid even if someone does the worst to us because our God is with us and he will take us through it. 
The perfect love of God drives out fear. The more we know and rest and grow in his love, the, the less there is room for fear to control us. The less there's place for that. We've been in accidents. We've seen death. We know the suffering of a, of a spouse lost, of a child lost. And that can grip us and, and, and box us into this bubble of fear. Afraid to move forward, afraid to go out, afraid to, to risk being hurt again. But when we know the perfect love of God is always doing what is good, kind, and best, and even if something happens, God has a good and best purpose for us in that, then we can work and grow in becoming fearless with that situation when we know that there is someone who is bigger than our fear, that's what enables us to walk through that process so that that fear no longer controls us. The reason that God is our only hope is because we know everything around us will let us down. We know that everything else around us cannot live up to perfect love. But if he is with us, if we are abiding in him and we know that more and more and more and more and more, then we have what we need to grow past that. My problem, the struggle that, that I've run into is that I, I, just want, I just question and wonder, okay, God, is God really with me? That's my struggle. I know here I know here, but here in this mess, is God really with me? And I think part of the problem of the American church is that we have made God so intellectual and something that we study and we learn about that we've lost the experiential presence of God's in our, God in our lives. E Eastern Eastern cultures understand that far better than we do. And I think we have some room to grow in there so that we can know not just cognitively but experientially, my God is with me. And even if I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I can fear no evil because his rod and his staff comfort me. And that, as we grow in that love and we know him more, is how we grow past. That's how fear is cast out of our lives. That's what we're offered in his perfect love. God's passionate about this because fear sucks, right? Fear is crippling. It is miserable. It will rob from your life and from the lives of those around you. And last I checked, Jesus came that we would have abundant life. Not mediocre at best, life. God's passionate about this because he gave everything for us to thrive in him. He doesn't want us to be robbed of fear. He's also passionate about it because what kind of story does that tell of this God that, that we love and is with us if, if we're walking in fear? If we're petrified by fear. If I'm watching from the outside, I'm like, oh, you, you talk of this God, you sing of this God, but your life certainly doesn't demonstrate that you believe he's with you. 
God's passionate about us growing in this perfect love. God's not an overnight thing. He could, he might. But for most of us, it's one step at a time, continuing to abide in him, in his perfect love, which is how we grow in that. And as we grow in perfect love, as it's put into our lives, fear is cast out. We're given the freedom and the confidence to thrive for his glory, for our good, for the good of those around us. His perfect love perfects love in us and that pushes out fear. What, 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 what incredible kindness. You know, I, I, my guess is I'm not the only one that's not satisfied with where I am. Like there's still too much insecurity and fear that that can just freaking steal a whole day. And I get angry. I'm like, I don't want, that's stupid. I'm, I get mad about that. But the, the good news is I can, I can continue to grow past that by his love in me. Like there, there, there's hope. There, there's, a, there's a path forward for us. If we don't have this perfect love, we're dependent on ourselves and those around us and we know too much by experience already. That's gonna let us down. Praise God for his perfect love. Now I just, I, I, we don't have to, I, I knew this was long, I get that. Um, I just want to quickly say this as we end, right? When we think about God's love, and this is what First John 4, he spent, John has talked a ton about this, it's on repeat, right? Hey, if you say you love God and you don't love your brother, can anybody finish the next of that? God's love on any, you're a liar, Right? He said that, nope, that doesn't add up. That equation doesn't work, right? If we are followers of Jesus, we are commanded to love one another. And John says here, right, that, you know, the one who says I love God and hates his brother, liar. And I know a lot of times we think of hate and we're like, man, I really hate that person. And that means like, I would not mind punching them in the face and then maybe slashing their tires, right? Like that's what we think of with, with hate is this active, like, just despise and my blood is boiling. But, but John only gives us two categories here. Either we are actively loving someone, which is doing and thinking what is kind, good, and best, or everything else is hate. That means, yes, actively, like I want to punch you in the face and slash your tires, and I'm just passive towards you. Falls under the category of hate. Shoot, man. That gets you. And so if we say, I love God, but we are not actively loving one another, guess what John says? We're falling under the category of hate. Doesn't match up. And so we're like, how in the world do we live up to this standard? Anybody else feel that weight? How in the world do I always love and not even neutrally, passively hate someone? And that's where we have to hang out in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We love because God loved first. You and I can love one another because God has loved us and he's given us his spirit of love to dwell in us. If we have trusted the love of Jesus, 
to forgive our sins and give us his righteousness, then we are his children. And he gives us his spiritual DNA, his spirit. We have the spirit of the love of Jesus in us. We love because he did that first for us. He's given us what we need to go and to love others. He showed us the way. We're not blind to like, oh, how do we do this? No, no, he's led the way, he's cleared the path. And not only that, he's given us the spirit to actually walk it out. We love because he first loved us. And the motivation is that we know I was a sinner, I was actively opposed to him, and still that's when he came and loved me. And only when we understand that will our hearts be changed. Only when we understand that we were actively running away from him, hostile in mind and actions towards him, and he was pursuing us in love. How many of us love people that way? That they're actively opposing us and we're like, no, no, let me, let me move closer to you in love. We love only because he loved us first. Our hearts are changed, our motives are changed only because he went first and we're only able to do this because he went first and loved us first. Listen, church, friends, God wants so much more for us than we can begin to imagine. Jesus left heaven and gave up his life that we would thrive and have abundant life. Don't settle for less than what Jesus came to bring us. It sucks for us and it's an insult to the cross of Christ. He came that we would thrive in his presence. His commands are not burdensome. It's not bad news. It's good news for the way to thrive. We are invited and commanded to love one another, to abide in him so that love is perfected in us because as we grow in his love, fear is pushed out, insecurity is pushed out, shame is pushed out, embarrassment is pushed out, humiliation is pushed out, and we are filled with his love and enabled to go and to love one another. If we're not growing in love, the answer is we're not abiding in him. Because perfect love perfects love. And it's the path of life. And so I just, have you, have you trusted in him? Do you trust him to spiritually remove your debt so that when we stand before him in the day of judgment, we have nothing to fear? Because I already know, man, my, my record, that page has been ripped out and thrown away. God's just looking at the righteousness that Jesus has given me to do. There's no reason, friends, for you to fear that day of judgment. None. And I pray and I hope that you hear that and you don't. And then as we abide in his love, fear is pushed out, love is filled up, and we're able to love others as we're commanded and invited to do. Friends, trust our God. He is for you. He is for you. He's made the way first for us to walk in and to live in his love. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.